Welcome to the audio ministry of Grove Park Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina. We pray you will be blessed by today's message. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to 2 Samuel chapter number 5. <clears throat> Last night I was working on the sermon and Scarlett decided to join me. And she crawled up on my back and she put her head down next to mine and she said, I want to help type the sermon. And I said, okay, what do you want to say? She said, I can type it. I said, honey, you're just learning how to spell. You can't type. But I promise you, whatever you tell me to type, I will. And so Scarlett gave me the opening for this sermon. I am Scarlett, and my uncle's name is Boo, and well, I would like to tell you, or all of you, something, and this is the most important thing. I have a Hulu TV in this room at my house. Now, beloved, I don't know what spiritual truth that will provide for you today, but understand something. Children are the greatest gift that God can give us other than salvation. And I'm going to go off for just a second and say, let us pray for our children. And let us always work to bring them before God. For such is the kingdom. 2 Samuel 5 is our text this morning. Would you pray with me once more? Eternal God, we give you thanks for your word. And Lord, this is a passage of scripture today that, that most of us, including myself, just skip over a lot. Doesn't seem to have much spiritual truth to it, we would think. It's just part of the background history. So we pray, Lord, today that you would... Speak to us and help us to hear from you. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Imagine. You have spent your entire adult life living in the turmoil of factionalism and partisanship. Here you are. God's anointed, and nothing has gone according to plan. Your life has been threatened repeatedly by a king that despite his mental illness, you have remained faithful to simply because he too is God's anointed. At one point, you had to flee from him into the camp of your greatest enemy and pretend that you yourself were mentally unstable just to save your life. 
Recently, the king and his son, your BFF, perished in battle, and yet you still have not been proclaimed king of all your people. Yes, you have been anointed king over your own clan, the tribe of Judah, but still you have to contend with the remainder of your people following your best friend's brother, Ishbosheth. War has continued. Needless loss of life has occurred. People who tried to do the right thing, people like Abner, were killed by ignorance. And now word has arrived that Ishbosheth too has been needlessly slaughtered. Sorrow perpetrated by the dreaded hand of death has entered innumerable homes across the kingdom. Fear of the unknown has seeped into the marrow of even the stoutest of souls. Distrust abounds. And now the weary elders of the other tribes have come to you to pledge allegiance to you. The warrior who must now employ an entirely different skill set as the reconciler. So David, how are you going to pull this one off? For this seems to be a bigger giant than the Philistine you killed a few years back. Well, the first thing would be to recognize that reconciliation is not a singular task, but something that is accomplished through community. We can valiantly attempt to bring disparate groups together, but if we do not recognize that it is a task that requires a multitude of participants from all sides, we will most assuredly fail. Thankfully, when we enter this morning's text, everyone has come together. Look with me at verse number 1. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. Beloved, there are two realities being presented by these elders. First, there is recognition on their part that things are not good. 2 Samuel 3, 1 tells us that in the ensuing war between David and Ishbosheth, the tribe of Judah is growing stronger and stronger while the other tribes are growing weaker and weaker. 2 Samuel 4, 1 tells us after word had reached the children of Israel that Abner was dead, Israel was dismayed. And a better translation of that word dismayed in the text would be they were terrified. The other tribes realized that though they may have numerical advantage over Judah, things are getting progressively worse and something has to change. So they sue for peace. Beloved, one of the things that keeps communities from reconciling is that some refuse to face the reality that they are growing weaker and losing. The amount of treasure, time, and energy that has been wasted throughout history because of the false visions of pride and supposed strength is incalculable. But one thing that can be calculated is that most assuredly, the pursuit of reconciliation makes everyone stronger if it is rightly sought. 
therein we see the other reality coming into play. The surest way to rightly pursue reconciliation is to remember your commonality. The elders of Israel say to David, essentially, we're all family, bone of bone and flesh of flesh. We do not need to be at war. Far too often when we are caught in the passions of the moment, we forget that the folks we label the enemy are just like us. We choose to denigrate them by assigning them names that make them small and us large when the truth of the matter is that such name-calling proves the opposite. We believe the worst instead of remembering that to love them as Jesus commands us means that we are not rude, but we rejoice not in falsehoods, but in truth. Beloved, we would do well in our very fractured nation to think of whomever we behold with disdain and contempt. And remember what Shylock said. Hath not a Jew hands, organs, dimensions, senses, affections, passions, fed with the same food, hurt with the same weapons, subject to the same diseases, healed by the same means, warmed and cooled by the same winter and summer as a Christian is? If you prick us, do we not bleed? If you tickle us, do we not laugh? If you poison us, do we not die? Thankfully, thankfully, in our text, the elders remembered that they and David were of the same humanity and indeed the same family, and they sought reconciliation in community. Let us, too, always remember that that which divides us, whether it be amongst our fellow Christians or our fellow Americans, is infinitesimal compared to what we share in common. And to increase the infinitesimal beyond its actual worth is sin. Secondly, for the entire community to participate as reconcilers, we must understand that those like David who are operating from a position of strength should invoke trust in those who are coming from a weaker position. Notice with me verse number 2 of 2 Samuel 5. In times past... When Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, you shall be shepherd of my people Israel and shall be prince over Israel. Beloved, did you catch the distinction that they are making between David and Saul? Saul, the text tells us, reigned over them as a king. But David will be the shepherd of the people. These are two distinct functions. Saul is painted as little more than a two-bit autocrat. But David is the shepherd. David shows concern for his people like a shepherd is continually looking for wounds the sheep have suffered. David is willing to risk his life for the sheep. David's actions have repeatedly shown the people he is always going to act in their best interest. Beloved, he has shown them that they can trust him. 
One of the recent ways that he has shown this is that he has taken on those who even though they acted with the best of intentions, worked against the spirit of reconciliation that was at work between David and the remaining tribes of Israel. 2 Samuel chapter 3 tells the story of Abner, who switched sides from Ishbosheth to David and was killed by Joab, who served as one of David's lieutenants. What does David do? Does he exalt Joab for killing Abner? No, 2 Samuel 3 tells us he mourned Abner greatly. Indeed, verse 35 of that chapter states, Then all the people came to persuade David to eat bread while it was yet day. But David swore, saying, God do so to me and more also if I taste bread or anything else till the sun goes down. And all the people took notice of it, and it pleased them. As everything that the king did pleased all the people. So all the people in all Israel understood that day that it had not been the king's will to put Abner, to put to death Abner the son of Nair. David's lament is more for the people of Israel than his own. The people of Israel are seeing that they can trust David. Indeed, 2 Samuel 4 tells us that after Ishbosheth's assassins bring David Ishbosheth's head, and let me tell you, Ishbosheth is not easy to say. David orders their execution for the dastardly deed. Beloved, when we coddle the actions of folks who are not working toward reconciliation in our world today, why should those whom we are trying to reconcile with, uh, those to whom we are trying to reconcile with, ever trust us? When we offer excuses instead of acknowledging the truth, we perpetrate falsehoods which most assuredly will act as a contaminant that will cause even the strongest appearing edifices to collapse. If you want to see a physical representation of a spiritual truth, look to Miami and the building there. Let us recall what Jesus said. A house divided against itself cannot stand. The question for us today is, are we working to be agents of peace and reconciliation in our community and in our nation and even in smaller circles like the groups of friends that we have, thereby enabling folks to trust us? Or are we working against the process of reconciliation? If Excuse me, and we should take it a step further and lay bare this unalterable fact. If folks cannot trust us to bring about reconciliation amongst ourselves, why should they ever trust that we what we have to say about the urgent necessity of their reconciling their lives with God? You see, beloved, our witness is at stake in the quest for reconciliation in the world. We cannot cannot not be engaged in it. There is something else, though, in what the tribal elders say to David and his subsequent actions that should help in our call to be reconcilers. Recall that the elders contrasted the autocratic style of Saul with the pastoral style of David, and by their seeking to anoint David king, chose the pastoral style. 
Likewise, in the remaining verses of 2 Samuel chapter 5, we see David leaving behind Hebron, which had served as a political and religious center for Israel, to conquer Jerusalem and to set up his capital there. In other words, beloved, both sides moved toward each other instead of remaining entrenched in their own positions. Sadly, we live in an age of massive entrenchment, both nationally and religiously. How did we get here? Well, it seems to me that we got here because of two paths that run counter to the path of reconciliation. First, we made inconsequential things into essentials for fellowship and camaraderie. Suddenly, now we require folks to agree with us on everything from how we voted to what brand of mayonnaise we will use in this afternoon's cookout. For any disagreement means we cannot be friends. I tell you, I find it hard to break bread with people who believe that Western-style North Carolina barbecue is the best. We would do well to remember that the 12 tribes of Israel were a disparate group. Each had their own quirks and eccentricities, and when they failed as a nation, it was because they could not work beyond what separated them. The other path which runs counter to reconciliation and, cre and creates entrenchment is the prioritization of our preferences above everyone else. We have somehow forgotten what Paul said in Philippians 2. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. In other words, our preferences are fine and dandy as long as they do not come at a cost to others. So, beloved, how entrenched are you today? We will never be bestowed the honor of being a reconciler in our world as long as we sit in our trenches and yell to the other side to come out to us. We will also never completely fulfill the summons to be like Jesus by yelling at folks to come to us either. Remember, Jesus left everything to come and reconcile us to God. He did not yell at us to try harder in pursuit of righteousness. He came that we might be clothed in His righteousness. He did not consign us to eternally seeking sacrifices, but He Himself provided the once for all fully sufficient sacrifice. How on earth, beloved, can we persist in squeezing grace out of the path of righteousness by claiming as essential things that aren't and continually, continuously seeking the privilege of preference in light of all that Jesus has done for us. Yet we do. And maybe instead of pointing to everyone else as the culprit behind why things are in the state they are in, we should recognize that in fact we are perpetrating this disunion. 
I'm reminded when I think of entrenchment of World War I. It was the most entrenched war we ever had fought. Right now, a hundred years after the peace, you can still see where the trenches were dug across Europe. What we forget is it did not have to go on the way that it did. You see, there was a point where they called out across the trenches to one another and they left the trenches behind and met in the middle. It was Christmas, 1914. And the Germans brought out their Christmas trees and the, and the uh, English sang their Christmas carols and suddenly one called to another and guess what? Over the trenches they came and they met out in the middle and they exchanged gifts. Can you imagine? They had just been shooting at one another. And they exchanged gifts and played soccer and gave each other food and celebrated Christ, the Prince of Peace. Do you know what happened the next year? The leaders, the generals, were so scared that it might happen again that they said, we'll court-martial you if you leave your trench. Beloved, the perpetration of war causes us to stay entrenched. But the purpose of peace and we are called to be peacemakers in this world, calls us to leave our trenches behind and be reconcilers. If the world ever needed a committed group of reconcilers, it's right now. We need it in our church. As we work through the transition process, of Roger and Howard's retirement. We need it in our community and nation as we seem to constantly stew in a poisonous cauldron of hate and mistrust that will ultimately kill us, beloved. It cannot continue. David, writing in Psalm 133, tells us that in our unity is the blessing of life forevermore. And indeed, it should be noted that for the Christian, it says that in our unity is the unction for our service. It's like the oil that flows down upon Aaron's Beard, it says, and the oil flowing down is what enabled Aaron to be high priest. Beloved, our unity is important. Our nation on this, the 245th anniversary of its independence, is sadly showing its age. And it needs to be reinvigorated through reconciliation. Every part of our lives needs to be reinvigorated with reconciliation. And beloved, it's not like we cannot ascertain what to do. We see it in the example of this morning's text. 
we hear it in Paul's call to be ministers of reconciliation both to God and to our fellow humans. The question is, do we prefer comfort over obedience, preference over holiness, hostility over hope? Or do we say, today I will be a reconciler and imagine how the world will be different because I put others first and I seek peace and them knowing Jesus. It is our choice today, beloved. To us has been given the ministry of reconciliation. Will you today fulfill your calling? Let us pray. Lord, there's a lot on the line and we are missing it too often. Help us not to today. Help us to, to, to be what you've called us to be. Help us to, to run out of our trenches and into the fresh air of grace. Help us to see the world as you see it. And help us to remember that, Lord, we're all stuck on this planet. Even Bezos and Musk are going to have to come back down later this month. And let us get to work at the process of being witnesses of your grace and gospel through reconciliation. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please note our schedule has been revised as of April 2021. Please join us on Sunday mornings for worship at 10 o'clock in the sanctuary at 108 Trail 1 in Burlington or on Facebook Live. For more information and resources regarding our church, please visit groveparkchurch.net. And remember, grace abound.